0: Let's open our Bibles to Leviticus chapter 1. Now in our comments, we've read quite a bit here though, but in our comments we've just gotten down to verse 4 as far as that goes. And we've read several times on down, but let's read again beginning with verse 4. And it says, And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And it tells He'll kill the bullock and on down in verse 9 He'll burn all all of it on the altar to be a burnt uh, sacrifice. An offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And in verse 10 it says His offering's to be without blemish. The last part of verse 10. And verse 13 tells that He'll wash it all completely in water and then uh, burn it upon the altar. It's a burnt sacrifice an offering made by fire a sweet savor unto the lord and then there is made a provision in verse 14 if that burnt sacrifice for his offering to the lord be of fowls then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or or of young pigeons so and then we're given the instructions as to how it was to be prepared and sacrificed <clears throat> all of these sacrifices And these offerings in the book of Leviticus are very uh, typical and symbolical of Christ and His sacrifice. Whether it be a blood sacrifice as He would give Himself for a burnt offering or a sin offering or a peace offering or a trespass offering or a bloodless sacrifice that without blood and the, the meat offering was one that didn't have blood there's no bloodshed in that. And we'll talk about that when we get to it. And that represents the life of Christ and the person of Christ in so many aspects. But we want to talk about this one, beginning with verse 4 and talk about, "...He shall put His hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for Him to make atonement for Him." Now, when He puts His hand upon the head, it signifies full identification. "...Full identification." So this person that came offering willingly, you read that back in verse uh, 3, that he'll uh, offer a male without blemish and he shall offer it of his own voluntary will. So he offers an offering, he brings an offering and offers it willingly and voluntarily. And uh, this offering uh, becomes a part of the the offer and the offering are are, uh, one. They become one. And uh, the application of this to Christ and the believer is that the believers are ever, everlastingly identified with with the Lord. So we identify ourselves with the Lord. So we, what we do, we basically, when we accept Christ as our Savior, if we were to follow the typical, uh, the meaning that's set forth here, typically, we would be saying, "This is my sacrifice." We would be laying our hand upon Him and saying, this is my blood offering. This is the one that is is taking my place. And uh, So I'll give you some Scriptures. 1 John 4, verse 17. It says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Our love is perfected, and therefore, we can have boldness in the day of judgment because we're dependent upon Christ who bore the judgment for our sins. Ephesians 1 6 says, We are accepted in the beloved. And so, our acceptation before God is in Christ. Colossians 2 verse 10 says, And ye are complete in him. There's nothing else you can add to it. Ye are complete in him. And then Ephesians 5 verse, verse 30 says, For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. We become one with Him. And then we talk about the believer being justified by offering uh, His sacrifice. And we need to be reminded that, that there are no degrees of justification. What I mean by that, that the babe in Christ... The one that's just been born again, that comes and accepts Christ, is just as truly justified as the most mature saint. They're both fully, completely justified before God. And uh, you can find that in Romans chapter 4, the last several verses. And then Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word therefore connects us with the previous part of the fourth chapter, because that's in Romans 5.1. It connects us with the fact that uh, if we believe on Him who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification, then we'll be declared righteous and justified in the sight of God. Just as it takes the picture from what Abraham did. So, the ground of our justification comes to us the very moment that we accept Christ on the basis of his sacrifice now look at this uh, verse five it says and he shall take he shall kill the bullet before the Lord and the and the priests Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation so that's what's That's how it is to be done. By the way, everything was done just as God specified that it should be done. And Aaron's sons here represent the church as a priestly family, a priestly house. Aaron and his sons represent the church. And we, by the way, are a priestly house. Hebrews 3, verse 6 says, "...but Christ, as a son over his own house... Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm to the end? So we become the house. And we become a priestly family and a priestly house. Just as Aaron and his sons were a priestly house in the Old Testament. And of course we have to know that uh, Jesus offered Himself of His own voluntary will. And uh by Jesus doing this, you find that in John chapter ten verse seventeen it says, Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I may take that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. That's verse eighteen. I lay it down of myself. Jesus voluntarily and willingly laid down his life, and certainly when we come to follow the Lord and dedicating ourselves to the Lord as a whole burnt sacrifice, if you want to put it that way, we lay down ourselves to do His will. And uh, of course, not to the extent and for the same purpose that Jesus did, but Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, the word is plead with you or beg you, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not a blood sacrifice like back there, but a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And it's only reasonable that we should do something in return. Now then, look at verse 6. Hold your place in Leviticus chapter 1. And by the way, these notes are the notes that I uh, wrote down as I was going to seminary in the fifties. 1952, 3, 4, or 53, 4, 5, and 6. And I graduated in 1957. And, uh, well, actually three and a half years it overlapped the years in a different way because I started in, I started in, went in December and started in January. I started to the second semester instead of the first semester of that year that I started the seminary. And then I finished my work. And then I was taking some postgraduate work after that before they called me to Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in East Texas. But anyway, to make a long story short, these are the notes. And my dear wife typed up every word that's on here. So I look at these, and I think she deserves as much credit for that degree as I do, and probably more in some ways. But anyway, that's the notes that I'm using. This is exactly what I have in a hard uh, fiber back folder down at the house that I've copied off for use here. Uh, and uh, by the way, in the front page, it has in red, in a red marker, it has A. In fact, all all of them, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all have A in front of them. So I thank God for that too. So what we say here in verse 6, it says, "...and He shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into His pieces." It doesn't say cut it into pieces, but cut it into His pieces. It was to be specially cut. They had a special way of cutting it up for the sacrifice. Now, Psalm 22, this undoubtedly speaks of Christ feeling all His bones separate, His joints divided on the cross. Look at Psalm 22, and we'll give you some verses here. Psalm 22 Now this reads several verses beginning with verse uh, uh, Verse 14 would be good. It says, "I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth through my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed Me. They pierce My hands and My feet. I tell all My bones, they look and stare upon Me. I may tell all My bones, they look and stare upon Me. Verse 18, They part My garments among them and cast, cast lots upon My vesture. And we go on and on and read how that Jesus was treated actually when He was on the cross of Calvary. And we know that they they cast lots for His clothing, didn't they? at the foot of the cross. The soldiers did that. So, what we find that the very inmost parts of Christ are separated. All His bones are separated. His joints divided on the cross. Not literally. We're just not talking about that in the literal sense of the word. We're talking about how He felt that He was fulfilling even this sacrifice that we're talking about here in the book of Leviticus. And also, the Holy Spirit wants wants us to dwell upon the work of Christ in all of its details. We see that these pieces represent details. And His pieces also could refer to rightly dividing the Word of Truth when we try to give you each and every detail of what these offerings mean. Remember in our... First study and the last two studies about the burnt sacrifice, we told you how that this burnt offering represented Christ offering himself up wholly, completely to God. And then we come to the sin offering, and he offered himself for our sins. And both were blood sacrifices. But you get over in Ephesians 5, verse 2, and remember this is a key to understanding the two. Joined together a sin offering and a burnt offering. And they were separate sacrifices back here in Leviticus. But they're combined in one when Jesus died on the cross. As well as other offerings. Peace offering and trespass offering and other. But remember we gave you Ephesians 5 verse 2. And what does it say? And walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And has given Himself for us. When He gave Himself for us, that was offering for sin. Because He gave Himself for our sins. And He says, an offering unto God, unto God, it was for us, but it was unto God, for a sweet-smelling savor. There's the burnt offering. So in the first part, when you talk about giving Himself for us, you see the sin offering. When you... Take the last part of that verse, you see Him giving Himself as a whole burnt offering to God. So there's more to the death of Christ than just Him dying for our sins. This this is a sweet-smelling savor unto the God, unto the Father. And if we miss that, we miss the meaning of this burnt sacrifice. Because it was completely consumed and it's called a sweet-savor offering. We'll talk about the meat offering and the peace offering and the the, uh, sin offering, the trespass offering as we progress along. But don't miss the importance of thinking about what they mean. How many understand that when Jesus died, look at Ephesians 5, verse 2. I better look at it so you uh, have it in your mind. Ephesians 5, verse 2, it says, "...and walk in love..." As Christ also hath loved us. Well, what did he do in loving us? And hath given himself, notice, for us. For us. But then, an offering and a sacrifice to God. To God what? For a sweet smelling savor. A sweet savor offering. To please God. So that was what pleased God. That's the burnt sacrifice for us, is a sin offering. And, and that's why we need to understand what these offerings mean back here in order to more fully, I'm not saying fully understand because we'll never fully understand all the merits of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But this will show us at least some things that we need to know. I believe it will take all eternity for us to understand all the depth of the meaning of what Jesus Christ our Lord did for us on the cross of Calvary. Now we see darkly through a glass, but then we'll see face to face. Then we'll know many things that we, and understand many things that we do not yet understand, but maybe only have a hint, <coughs> <excuse> me, <coughs> a hint of what they mean. Or a small amount of what they mean. So, when when we say that his pieces also refer to rightly dividing the word of truth, that's what we're trying to do now: is rightly divide the word of truth, so we'll understand more about these offerings. How many of you have just read them and say, "Well, there's a burnt, a whole burnt offering." Maybe you maybe you even haven't even read the book of Leviticus. I don't know, but if you have, you say, "Well." That's a burnt offering, I don't know what that means, or I don't know much about it. The the priest just burned it up. And how could that burning of that flesh smell good? But it was a sweet savor offering. Because it meant more than just the burning up of that victim, that animal. It meant more than that. And so that's why we need to understand the meaning of God's Word. Verse 7. Look at verse 7. It holds your place in Leviticus chapter 1. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put, put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in, the, in order upon the fire. Now, what would they do? The wood here speaks of Calvary's cross, by the way. And the fires speak of the cross, it says. The, the wood speaks of Calvary. The cross and the fire speak of the the sufferings that Jesus went through on the cross or the sufferings of the cross. Now verse 8 and 9 for the priest Aaron's sons shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. Notice that word in order, those two little words. In order. God has a special order about things. He had a special order about the way these sacrifices were to be presented. God is a God of order. He's not a God of disorder or confusion. In fact, Paul says in the New Testament, God is not the author of confusion as in all churches of the saints. And we need to remember that when we talk about uh, churches being in confusion. God's word is to be preached clearly and plainly. People are to understand it. There's one of the prophets says, uh, write it, write the message clear so that he that is, he that runneth may read it. He that's on the run can read it and understand it. And it's to be so clear that everyone can understand it. And that's why we need to preach and teach God's Word and rightly divide the Word of truth. Make it so simple that even a child can understand it. Oh, I know we've got a lot of great orators today. And uh, they speak with great eloquence. But on the other hand, Paul says, uh, I didn't come to you, he told the Corinthians with enticing words of man's wisdom. I didn't come that way enticing words of man's wisdom. But he says, I came to you in much uh, in weakness and in much trembling. And he says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In God that makes the Word directly understandable to you. And He's the One that makes it understandable. Preachers, we do the best we can to, to preach it and teach it but it's only God that will give you and open your heart and give you the understanding of it. And He will do that. He's promised to do that. If His Word is rightly divided and faithfully preached, He's promised to help you to understand it. Isn't it difficult to go and hear somebody talking about a lot of things that are just above our understanding and not explained? in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Nehemiah stood before the, the uh, people. They made a pulpit of wood. By the way, that's why you're supposed to have a pulpit, I guess. And, and, and Nehemiah got behind the pulpit and he read the Word and preached it and, uh, from morning till noon and he gave understanding of it. He gave understanding of what he, what he preached. He gave the sense, it says back there, so that the people would understand? Well, that's what we're to do. And help it to be easily understood. Now, and the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, and so on. We've already talked about that. And we'll get in uh, the next verse. If I can get these pages separated here. And the next verse says that uh, the sacrifice, or that verse says the sacrifice must be made or put in order. It must be placed on the wood according to the details (coughs) (coughs) that were ordained by God. God ordained and instructed the way that these things were to be done. This means that we're not to just do any old way that we please. That God has a plan for us to follow. And we're to follow that plan. We're not to vary off here and there and go, go uh, doing our own thing, so to speak. You know, you've heard people say, "Well, I want to just do my own thing." Well, that's okay if it's what God wants you to do. But we better do it in God's way. It doesn't mean we can cannot be an individual, but it does mean that God has foreseen. And arranged every detail, and by the way, he arranged every detail of the death of Christ on the cross in the council halls of eternity. Remember, we gave you a scripture in Acts chapter 2. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 2, if you will. We've given you this time and time again. Let's read verse 22 and 23. Acts 2, verse 22 and 23. It says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by Him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. (coughs) Now notice verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So he was delivered by the determined counsel and the foreknowledge of God. But he says, you've taken, and by your wicked hands you've crucified and slain. They were not excused for the sin in crucifying Jesus. But God's plan and purpose was ahead of it all. Because it says He was delivered by what? The determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God. God knew and determined what was going to take place. In fact, the Bible teaches that He was the Lamb slain, Revelation 13, verse 8, before the foundation of the world. And First Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, you'll find that He was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world. So, there's a lot of things that we need to learn about that. Every detail of our Lord's death on the cross was foreseen and arranged before by the Lord, by the Almighty. And in his crucifixion, his raiment was to be parted and the casting of lots for his seamless garments. We read in uh, Psalm 22, verse 18. Look, 22 verse 18, what it says here. It says, uh, "They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture." Now, if you want the New Testament, look in uh, Matthew chapter twenty-seven, begin with verse thirty-nine. No, let's see, uh, thirty-five rather, Matthew. Chapter 27, verse 35, it says, "...and they crucified Him and parted His garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted My garments among them, and upon My vesture did they cast lots." This shows us that David was not only a psalmist, but he was a prophet. Because Jesus says that it might be fulfilled. The Word of God here says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. He was a prophet king. We said we had over in the Old Testament priestly prophets, kingly priests, but we didn't ever have a prophet, priest, and king like we have Jesus. He's prophet, priest, and king. We sing the song, don't we? Crown him, crown him. Prophet and priest and king. Right? <clears throat> he's a prophet full of light. And he's a priest that stands twixt God and men. And he's a king that rules with might. And Jesus is these all to us. Now let's look at something else. <clears throat> now I'm going to give you several places where. <clears throat> there's fulfillment of these things about Jesus in detail that we find prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament so in that first one that I gave you put Psalm 22:18 and then put Matthew 27:35 uh, Psalm 22:18 Matthew 27:35 <coughs> And then it says, the next statement I want to make is, they should mock Him passing by the cross, wagging their heads. Now look at Psalm 22, verse 8, if you will. Psalm 22, uh, verse 8, says, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver Him. Let Him deliver Him, seeing He delighted in Him. Now then, when you come to the New Testament, Let's look at Matthew 27 again, verse 39 through 43. 39 says, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, and in three days, and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, now notice, Likewise also the chief priests mocking Him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, Himself He cannot save. If He be the King of Israel, let Him now come down from the cross and and we will believe Him. Now look at verse 43. He trusted in God. Let Him deliver Him now if He will have Him. For He said, I am the Son of God. Then you come to another thought. And this says, They gave Him vinegar and gall was to be given him an answer to his cry. You find that in Psalm 22. Uh, Let's see what verse it is. No, you find that in Psalm 69. I beg your pardon. Psalm 69, verse 21. Look at what it says here. Psalm 69, verse 21. And I'll read it for you. 69.21 69.21 says, They gave Me also gall for My meat, and in My thirst they gave Me vinegar to drink. Psalm 69 and verse 21. And then compared to that, look in Matthew 27 again, verse 48. Verse 48. And straightway one, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. See, they have the fulfillment of all these things. They're all prophesied in the Old Testament. And no bone of Him shall be broken. Look at Psalm 34, verse 20. Psalm 34, verse 20. I want you to get this. It says this, He keepeth all His bones, not one of them is broken. Not one of them is broken. And look in... um, uh, again, Matthew uh, twenty-seven forty-eight. It says, "And straightway one." No, let's see. I got the wrong reference. I got twenty-seven forty-six. Well, we still got the wrong reference. No bone shall be broken. Uh, John nineteen. John nineteen. I beg your pardon. John 19, verse 32 and 33. says, Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first, that is the thieves on the cross, and the other which was crucified with Him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that He was dead already, they break not His bones. They didn't break His bones. And then, we, uh, I think I skipped the one in... Uh, Psalm 22, verse 1, where uh, the psalmist cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We know we find that in the New Testament in uh, Matthew 27, 46, where he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And also in Mark's gospel, you'll find that same cry. And he should not die by the act of man, but by his own. We've already read in, uh, well, we haven't read in Psalm 69, let me give you Psalm 69, if you will, and verse 20. Psalm 69, and verse 20. I think I have the right reference here, let's see if I do. 69, and verse 20. It says, Reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. And I look for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. So He died alone by Himself. And He was not to die by the act of men, but in John chapter 19, verse 34, it tells us how Jesus died. It says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. So you put those verses together. And then he was to be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah 53, verse 9. Let me read this for you. Isaiah 53, verse 9 says, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. With the grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Remember, he was buried in a rich man's tomb. Look in Matthew 27, verse 57. Verse 57. It says When the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. And he went and begged Pilate. Uh, He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man of Arimathea, which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulchre and departed. All these Scriptures are fulfilled concerning Jesus and His death on the cross. And when you get back to the Scripture in, uh, in uh, the book of... Leviticus, I want to show you another particular of what we're studying. In verse, uh, let's see what verse it is, 8 and 9, where it says, and he shall flay, verse 6 says, And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. Flayed. Flay is a taking off the outside skin and exposing the inner flesh, the very tissue of life. And the devil did this in the temptation of Christ. The devil exposed his inner life. And of course, we know that he was uh, whipped with a cat a 9 tails so to speak. He was scourged. And of course, this would open up the outer skin as well. Christ's flesh, or the inner tissue, was physically exposed when He was beaten. He was exposed by Satan with the temptations. And His inner life came out. And He was faithful to God. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds say out of the mouth of God shall man live. And in the temptation, further, Jesus uh, rebuked Satan's temptation with another word of Scripture and says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And other things that He did. But when He was exposed physically, that's when He was beaten and when He was scourged. You find a counterpart to that to Psalm 129 and verse 3. It says this, it says, The plowers plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows. In other words, he was scourged and his back was bleeding. And the inwards and the legs of the offering were to be washed in water. We read that in our passage of Scripture. The inwards set forth the motives or impulses. What comes from the inside of us? All of our impulses, all of our emotions, all of our motives for doing things. The legs there speak of the walk or manner of life. When we talk about someone walking in life, Paul says, you knew my manner of life among you. And then the water is symbolical of the Holy Spirit of God or the Word of God, both the Spirit of God and the Word of God. It says, "Wherewith shall a man, young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word." And all of this that we're talking about and these pieces that you find in this uh, first chapter of Leviticus when we're talking about it being burnt, all of it in verse 14, and if the burnt sacrifice... Well, you know, it says... In verse 13, "...but he shall wash it inwards in the legs with water, and the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord." Remember, it's a sweet savor offering. So all of this was to be burned on the altar, signifying that Christ was to be utterly consumed in His sacrifice until nothing was left. He gave Himself totally that He might please God. And when you find the law of this offering, over in chapter 6, verses 8-10, through you'll find the law of the burnt offering. We said in our earlier statements, that, in our introduction, that you have the offerings here in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then you get over to chapter 6 and 7, and you have the law concerning these same offerings. In other words, all the more details of how it was to be done. Look at verse 10 in our text here. Hold your place, Leviticus chapter 1. And if his offering be of the flock, namely of the sheep or of the goats, for a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it a male without blemish. The sacrifice had to be without blemish. And it must be a male. It was certainly to be without blemish, and it was certainly to be a male. We'll give you the reason for that in a moment. And he shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord, and the priest, Aaron's son, shall sprinkle his blood around about upon the altar. And we said Aaron's sons represent the church as a priestly house. And we said that this brings us into a place of fellowship, and participation and communion with God. And he shall cut it in his pieces with his head and his fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. It must be placed on the wood according to the details that were ordained of God. He shall wash the inwards and his legs with water, and the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And all of it was to be burned on the altar, signifying that Christ was to be utterly consumed until nothing was left that it might completely please God. And you read down in verse 14, And if the burnt sacrifice for His offering of the Lord be of fowls, then He shall bring His offering of turtle doves or, or of young pigeons... In other words, if, if they were too poor to bring a, a, a male offering of a sheep or goats or, or, a, or a bullock for, of the herd or of the flock either, if they were too poor, they could bring uh, a burnt sacrifice of fowls. And they could bring turtle doves or, or of young pigeons. And it tells you how that they were to be dealt with too. Turtle, turtle doves or young pigeons is con- constantly prescribed as a substitute for those that were too poor to provide a lamb or a kid. That's how we know about Jesus when they were offering uh, after Jesus was born and turned to, let's see, I believe it's Luke's gospel. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Let me read, beginning with verse uh, 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, this is Mary's purification, after the birth of Jesus, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This was the customary thing to do. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now look, in verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice <clears throat> according to that which is said in the law of the Lord. Now look, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Why did He come to offer that? Because... It's not mentioned here that they would offer a, one of the herd or a lamb of the flock. And this shows us that probably Joseph and Mary were poor. And Jesus was born into a poor family upon this earth. A working class of people. Not to the rich or the elite. And we had much to say about that when we preached on the birth of Christ. And this was a substitute that was to be made. And even the poorest could obtain this offering for sacrifice. verse 15, And the priest shall bring it to the altar. This is what would happen if you ordered that. In Leviticus one fifteen, "...the priest shall bring it into the altar and wring off his head and burn it on the altar, and the blood thereof shall be wrung out uh, at the side of the altar. And he shall pluck away his crop and his feathers and cast it beside the altar on the on the east part by the place of the ashes. And he shall cleave it with the wings thereof, but shall not divide it asunder." In other words, it was not to be divided like the animal sacrifice shall not divide it asunder. Some have commented that uh, the head was to be wrung, but not separated. But I think the dividing asunder refers to the pieces of the animal rather than that. You get the example of it by Abraham's offering of fowls back in the book of Genesis. In, verse, in chapter 15, it tells about a she-goat, and a ram, and a turtle dove. Verse 10 says, And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. The birds divided he not. He didn't lay the pieces separately of the foul sacrifice, but of the animal sacrifices. And that's why it says in our text that He would not divide them asunder, but burn it upon the altar, upon the wood that is upon the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, even the pigeons or turtle doves, a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. It was still a sweet savor unto the Lord. And we read that in... uh, what we read about Abraham and how he offered the sacrifice. Well, they followed certainly followed the example of Abraham. And in Leviticus 5, verse 8, it says, when you have the law of this offering, wring off his head from the neck, but shall not divide it asunder. And that's what it's talking about. We're going to have to close there and we'll pick up with verse 6.